How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 188. 88 miles per hour! Would have been good, but we already did it. We already did. This is like the second time we could have done Back to the Future, but didn't. Yeah. And the other one was 85. Yeah. For 1985. And then we just decided to do it for like... 175 instead or whatever yeah. whatever number we did it for it was like made no sense we were just wanting to watch some Zemeckis yeah exactly I feel uh, like the obvious cho- it's, I mean Zemeckis is always the obvious choice and John Hughes as well they're doing the now that the Ferris Bueller's spin-off did you hear that I've never seen Ferris Bueller oh it's great you know what's funny I, I remember thinking like, oh it's good and I gave I, apparently I gave it four stars on Letterboxd I'm like oh jeez okay, I, I guess I really liked it <laughs> I trust myself my earlier self. Do you have that, like, moment of yeah. self-realization? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you often forget. I mean, when we watch as much as we watch, sure, it's very easy to everything become noise, especially when mm. you look back on years when, like, we tried to do the 365 challenge and mm. you're watching, you know, two, 300 films a year. On top of that, then you've got TV shows yeah. and series, and next thing you know it, as things get lost in the noise, these these films are like, wow, that was really good, and you give it like four stars, but then you end up handing out four stars like eight times in a month because you have a really good run of really good films. Yeah, yeah. And then, all, to it be all, honest, all of the meh films have the same problem. They 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 leave you. It's sad that I've watched Kissing Booth as much as I have. <laughs> why? Why? I, mean, I know well, why. Well, I know why? Because but... it was a great game to play along to. Oh my god. Um, whereas. Now, it's like, you know, and even, like, the forgetful films end up taking up some of that much-needed space that could go to a really good film. Mm. But Your brain's occupied with the, the many kissing booths. Yeah. Is, so, is each kissing booth film, there's a new kissing booth? No, they only did the kissing booth in the first two. Oh, oh the first two, okay. It's better than I just the first, the first one. Two. Yeah, it's in the first two. The third <laughs> one, it's not. Okay, what... You can, I was going to compare it to Back to the Future again, but actually, I feel like 2 and 3 have more in common than 1 and 2, especially with the chicken line. Yeah. And the fact they'll they were block shot 2 and 3. Anyway, I don't know. We're getting really uh, off really the cuff tight. on this one. Yeah. Which I like. Well, to be fair, the I film like of the week's do. a little off the cuff. That is true. We're just, we're being, we're being a little quirky, well, a little <laughs> psychedelic with our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jake. Do you have any trivia? I do. Speaking of quirky, you got Sebastian Stan, of course. He plays the uh, the antagonist of the film, and I wanted to talk a bit about his audition, in which he sent a video of himself to Mimi Cave, the director, uh, dancing with a knife, because uh, according to him, it was a big concern of hers was the whole dancing sequences in the film. So, I guess he wanted to put her at ease by immediately being like, "My audition is me dancing with a knife." Which I guess uh, worked. Too bad. I guess it worked. It's, it's, it's better. He could have been doing other things, I guess. <laughs> Ravenously yeah. attacking meat. I, I got to make a point. I got to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched alive ten times was, to prepare was, for this role. Say, what, what's uh, what's his name? The one who's like always doing Jared Leto. Like, oh sure. yeah. No, I don't want to see Jared Leto in this role. I don't want to see Jared Leto in any role. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of. I'm kind of done. With well, Jared Leto. What I would have to say, well, it's, it's one of those interesting ones. Um, this is the I like this one, and it's related to Australia. 
First film released under Walt Disney Studios motion pictures to be rated R in Australia. This this film's rated R? Yeah. Wow. Totally okay. the subject matter. So this is where we get I into guess, that really... I, wow, that's interesting. Really interesting conversation about classifications and sort of where this would sit, depending on its region. Obviously, here in Australia, the two things you can't do, or the things that elevate you to that next level... Uh, they're way more violent stuff. So it's like I guess so, blood, yeah. blood, guts, and gore. Here mm. is like that's the thing that'll send you rating up to R very quickly. Whereas in America, it's very much the the, the sexual related stuff, sure. any sort of relation to to sex or or abuse in that way. That's the thing that sends it to mm. the roof. I know this for, is probably. I, know I would say this film would probably be at. Uh, do they have AV? Isn't there's AV fifteen? Like they've got like a weird. Um, oh, what, in the US. Yeah, oh, t- probably some PG-13. sort of intermediate between PG thirteen and then R, which is like seventeen over there. I yeah, I'm yeah, just, that'd be interesting. I'm not, I would say it would probably would it wouldn't hit R. There's a great doco. I could not for the life of me tell you what it's called because I found it in like a six part YouTube thing that someone uploaded. This was like. 15 years this was like ancient youtube days it was so rare to find like a full doco on there but it was about the american rating system and a big thing for them is is pubic hair that is a big deal yeah probably it's a big deal very strange um what works what doesn't work yeah I mean, very particular well rules. and for them it's 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 also nudity nudity sends the rating through the, the roof but sure it's it's obviously it's subjugated nudity so it's like you know we watched we talked about alexander Payne sideways mm. that's just got an m rating right. and there is a fully there are fully naked people in it but it's the i think it's yeah. a mixture of genre meets uh like totally contextually based hell even the simpsons movie has an animated penis and is rated pg yes that's absurd <laughs> That's crazy. It is pretty crazy. But um, the other one Australians uh, hate in video games in particular is drug use. That's like an immediate ban in Australia, which is frustrating. But But it's interesting because obviously marrying that with your point about Sebastian Stan, we now live in a world where MCU universe personnel who are still active MCU personnel... He hasn't been killed off yet. uh, (laughs) ...now allowed to be involved in these... uh, well, especially something as extreme as this film mm. would have been unheard yeah, of I, 10, 15 years ago. It's just crazy because, like, I saw the film earlier today. Granted, I haven't slept in, like, 30 hours. <laughs> but that being said, I was still pretty awake. Of the, I didn't think it was that. Like, there's some disturbing elements to it, but it is sort of a satire comedy element to it. And you don't see much of, like, decapitation oh it's, even it's, like the drug use when you is compare it to some of the and um, we can dive more into yeah, that sure. aspects in the second half of the show but jake mm. obviously wouldn't be on the board behind me being no. a fresh 2022 <laughs> release <laughs> oh zeke you're a clever rascal but jake wouldn't make the cut would it make my 1100 films you must watch or has it just got too much fat on the bone <laughs> you're, you're so full of them today <laughs> you're, just, you're ready to go yeah. for the puns nothing but, the nothing but a lean clean oh my god I'm gonna stop you in your tracks <laughs> <laughs> um, no look I think this film does a lot of interesting things it has some really interesting things to say and talk about 
And I could definitely see people this being on their lists um, because it resonates with things they may want to resonate with or things they haven't seen in many other films yeah. being discussed. Um, but that being said, I I think this film is not... It's not forgettable. It's definitely not a forgettable film, but I feel like it's not one that I'm going to be thinking about six months from now yeah. vigorously. It's quite funny because in this three-week block, we've obviously done two Peel films back-to-back, but this doesn't mm. feel out of place with the films we've talked about in the last sure, couple of weeks. no. It almost feels like we've done an October in August. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Halloween. Back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Um, but, yeah, I'd have to say the same thing. I mean, it's a perfectly adequate film, and it's got a lot... Uh, some clever things in it, but, yeah. It's a... Oh, that was nice and pleasant. And then I think it's too, and to to its credit, it it's purposefully so. I think it's a bit too fun and entertaining that the social commentary behind it um it doesn't it doesn't trump those elements enough for it to be like oh, you must I mean, watch this film within, before you die sort of you know level of especially criterion. within a fortnight you've talked about Get Out, which sort of has the same level of humor meets sort of that sure. uh, horror. It's, like it's, it's a, a different approach that's it feels a little more important yes and this film i don't think is trying to feel as important even though i think it's always nice things to say yeah but i I, yeah i i think we're definitely we're touching on a lot of things that i think we we need to wait to evaluate on but that that's okay zeke yeah what have you been watching last week so i haven't watched much i i am thankful because they do give you a bailout now with Netflix, sort of those three episode series, and they turn them into like a documentary on Letterbox, so it counts. Okay. So <laughs> it counts. And I say I'm, I'm thankful because I have watched stuff. I just haven't watched like conventional movies. I mean, hey, that's um, perfectly fine. We have to talk about conventional films. So obviously, a couple of weeks ago, I think I talked about the most hated man on the internet and yes, that three episode documentary series, which pretty much was just a do- an elongated documentary like it, it sure. has the it's not quite the tiger king where it's eight or nine 40 minute episodes where mm. it is that's a series when you have these three parters they're almost just like there's enough content to justify a series but they're sure. really just you probably could condense them to a two-hour documentary yeah and, and like with some, something like f um uh, don't f with cats that felt the same like it's three hour long chunks you totally could have trimmed the fat on that. You totally could have made that a two-hour feature. Yeah. So there's another one that's just dropped uh, by Jamie Crawford, who I've, I've Jamie I Crawford say, apparently has done a 43-minute documentary for the Hunt for Tent Bundy and a uh-huh. 2016 film called Angel of Decay. So this is uh, I've heard of Angel of Decay. Okay. Well, Isn't that crazy. A bit of you might have. Um, mm, okay. So, Trainwreck Woodstock 99 dropped on Netflix. Oh, uh, Woodstock 99. In the last month, maybe. <laughs> and I've heard so much about this, Doco. Yeah, so it's obviously another one of these three-episode docu-series. It's 135 mm. minutes, so there you okay. go. Okay. It's 2 hours 15. So, um, yeah, I actually found this really solid. So, basically, it was very similar to the Fire Vein, although it doesn't have the same sort of... Uh, build up drop off where it's like it, we know basically we're going off a cliff with right. fire and then D-Day hits and we watch it play out whereas this one sort of does very much the it basically it's quite interesting so it's a three day festival in which mm. they've kind of split up into the three episodes 
oh, your phone thinks you're talking to it. it when in reality, you're talking to me. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where it <laughs> it's quite interesting. So they, they split it up over the three days. And then basically they show us how all the facilities... This was Woodstock 99 was like a travesty. Everything mm. went wrong. Like all of the facilities went... And it basically led to this complete and utter anarchy where basically everyone just turned into complete Lord of the Flies animals and they just started tearing the whole place and burning the whole place to the ground. Didn't they learn already? And it was quite interesting because it's like, obviously it's compared in contrast to Woodstock 69, yeah. which was the was the cultivation of the hippie counter movement. And one of the, the co-founders of, of 69 was, was in, you know, sort of working alongside this other guy for 99. And... Just they're, they're basically how... I just thought of a terrible joke. I mean, you literally said co-founder for 69, yep. implying there were two members in the founding of the number 69. Yeah, okay. Let's move on. Oh, um, I wanted to elaborate. And it's, it's one of those things where it's <laughs> they do this really interesting sort of device where they're like showing the wheels are starting to fall off and by the end of the second uh, Saturday night, things are really starting to fall apart. Mm. But... What's quite interesting is how they managed to just show sort of the mixture of why this event didn't work for a myriad of reasons, not just like the promoters misunderstanding or trying to cut too much budgetary stuff, which led to mm. neglect of the people going to the festival, which led to the ravenous behavior, but sort of how the nineties music was significantly different to the sixties music. Like right. the nineties was a the era more of angry. I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, the, it was the era of red hot, red hot chili peppers yep. and kid rock and all of these like, or corn where it's like, yeah. you just sort of like the, there's a bunch of these middle-aged men booking this and going, why is everyone getting so rowdy? And it's like, <laughs> look at the bands playing. Yeah. Like, what type of people do you think go don't, to these shows? Don't forget Sadgasm, Homer Simpson's yeah. band from the 90s. But it's quite interesting because it, it, the way they, <laughs> they pace it and then they, they sort of do the little things like, oh, like, there was no water and then why was there no water? And then they'll cut back to seven months earlier where it's like, oh, they decided that they didn't need that water or they, they kept privatizing a lot of aspects of it, which right. obviously is another thing was another huge contradiction of Woodstock, which was like what they were marketing it as this hippie love fest mm. of egalitarianism. Yet they've got converse coming in and giving all of the people backstage like promo <laughs> stuff. It was very funny because it in that way, but it was just like hand over eyes and just watching this, Festival just slowly descended into madness. It was very yeah. entertaining. So yeah, I would oh. give it a record. I would give it a watch. Yeah, I've heard many people have recommended this doco to me. So I gotta. It's I fun. Gotta check it's it definitely out. got the the fire. I feel like ever since like the fire uh, documentary that style. We've has been like, looking for another one. <laughs> well, I think it's just you know it was it was resonant in the most hated man on the internet. It's the same here. It's this that big wide sort of wide full shot mm. with the real shallow depth of field and then a real punchy close-up. That formula of documentary telling has is, is become ironclad of the last five years. It's very contemporary. Um, yeah, it was good. Fun watch. It's funny. I always used to complain about um, how, like, docos recently have, like... Now they do the self-reflective thing where they have, like, spare tripods and lights in the frame. They purposely keep them in the frame instead of punching in to hide those. And I'm like, oh, why? That, that's stupid. Why would you do that? And then I ended up having to do it myself because I had nothing else interesting to fill the frame. Well, I did it in my last documentary. Yeah, yeah. 
So I get it now. I do get it. The reflection style <laughs> can be quite fun because it, and it's a fun one to play around. With. It's definitely a trend of the day. I think right. It's definitely. It feels like more documentaries recently have been doing it. Well, I mean, twenty years ago, the Michael Moore running in people's faces and screaming mm-hmm. stuff was the flavor of that month, or the more traditional. I think when, like, Band of Brothers was around and those sort of documentaries, the black screen, like, neutral background and talking dramatically was a a flavor. Yeah, the void. (laughs) Absolutely. So, what about you, Jake? Yeah, no, I've I've caught quite a lot. I'll stick with TV momentarily. Um, Since we're talking about, sort of, things that are broken up into series E's, I've been watching The Boys, of course, which I talked a little bit about last week. Um, I'm I'm smashing through it. I'm I'm just... Enjoying it? Yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. I binged, I was sort of watching it periodically, like I'll get one or two in every day or two, um, and then last night I just literally binged like all of season two in one hit. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed it. And it, Two's and I, really good. Two's, a, yeah, two. I like it better than the first season, I reckon. It just, it feels like more, I don't know, I'm just more enticed by the characters, which is funny because when I started it, I was like, okay, the first like two episodes are going to be really great at world building. And then it's just going to be character stuff, but I'm I'm really getting into the character stuff yeah. and um, just how like risque the whole show is. Like it, I'm glad that it's not like I mean the sh- it's absolutely bonkers. The violence and the crudeness, it's so I, I insane. love. I always love but... the viewer discretion warning at the start where it's, <laughs> it's just like, and it bother? literally why it jokes. Yeah. It jokes. It's like this is just. There's an episode where they literally go. This is just insane, and we don't know. <laughs> We didn't know where to stop. <laughs> just, it's so self-aware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have it would have to be, and you could tell even just like the way they write the log lines of like it's all sort of like meta in the, the vault universe of like, yeah. hey, you know, welcome to the movie premiere of the Dawn of the Seven and that whole thing. I love all of that that stuff. Um, so and good. and it, like I was saying last week, I was sort of curious then you know, with this whole sort of war between the boys and then the seven, it's like, well, one is severely more overpowered than the other. So at, at the point when they get made, I was like, I wonder how they're going to sort of yeah. play with that. And the answer to that question was very multi-layered. And there's just a lot of sort of um, interlaced politics going on and there's blackmail and then there's, there's um you know, super-powered beans on each side and some are double agents. And then, so it's like, it's cool that they've sort of implemented all these different ongoing threads to explain and none that. of it ever feels contrived, which I've always liked. Like No, it makes, because they establish it very early. It's like, okay, well, these are super beans that are impervious to any and all physical violence. Um, but they establish very early. It's like, well, a lot of it is, you know, their, their weakness is the the relationships they have? Yeah, they're, they're their own ego. Yeah, their own egos yeah. and, and their drives for power. And I love that you know, as insane as like a character like Homelander is, which is just such a joy to watch, and he's just such a terrific actor. You understand like the um, the amount of suppression he's putting on himself from just absolutely annihilating everyone on the planet. That like, you buy it, you buy all those different. Logics. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things. I don't know. So how far in are you now? I'm two episodes into the third season. So has he made his birthday speech? Yes, that's, yes, the, that's so, the most recent thing I just saw. Um, that, and, and that's it. <laughs> but then that's the element where it's like you feel the imminent danger. You're like, mm. oh, 
So the one thing that was keeping him back was the approval. And it's just like that snap that he gets yeah. where he's like, I don't need any of you. But he does. He still does. Oh, it's it's very does. much a child having a tantrum. Well, it's the, um, is it Queen Maeve? Is that? Is yeah. It? Yeah. She says it in, I won't go into too much detail, but I'm pretty sure she says it outright. Like, you can kill everyone on the planet to hide this evidence that I have on you, but you won't do that because you need their approval. Yeah. That's the, in your mind, that's the only reason they exist. Well, because well, it's, it, it's one of those things where they kind of take that real introspective thing where it's like, this character is impervious to this point, sure. is impervious and can't be beat. And so, but then they also are very self-aware of that. So mm. they could go around and kill 7 billion people, but then what have they got left to live for? And this is yeah. that... It's that multi-layered thing where, you know, and it's like you take, like, um, uh, John, yeah, John yeah. Carl Esposito's yeah. character, where he's like, he's just he's so multi-layered. So to, you know, he's so gus. Yeah. He's just gus <laughs> in it, like, basically. Well, there's a certain, like, there's just a certain little dialogue, not dialogue, like a like a dialect switch in the, yeah. his delivery that's like, yeah, in terms of, like, his stance it's yeah. very gus like but the way he delivers it it's just kind of smoother and absolutely it's just something about it he's so good at just changing it up slightly but it's the for him like the the total capitalistic corporate <laughs> log- logic there and, and i just love the layers of just like you know it's dystopian sure but it, mm. it it's just got that essence of truth to it where? Well, it's it's kind of dystopian, but like, all, all, literally one hundred percent of the ideas in this show are modern as hell. They're completely modern, yeah. even just sort of like the the like the war crime stuff with the sort the super terrorists and like, well, it's just it's all so relevant. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel dystopian. It doesn't even look dystopian either. Well, I will I will so. spoil one thing. There is a throwback to the last waltz in an upcoming oh, episode. Oh, exciting! Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. They have a hard on for Billy Joel, man. I, it's like <laughs> every single episode there's a Billy Joel track in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think they the, waited to um uptown, <laughs> but yeah. the third season they waited long enough for it. That's great, it's great eh? Yeah, I I it's a it's a very fun show. Mm. Um, I'm excited just to like catch up and talk. I know there's the hero gasm right around the corner. I'm so I'm so curious. It's, it's so you know what's funny, Z? It's my Prime account. Obviously, I only just started watching it, so none of the episodes have like the blue label under it, yeah. like that I've watched any of it, except for hero gasm. Did someone log into my account just watch hero gasm and then log out? That's literally what it looks like on my account. I'm like, what happened? It's a very funny episode. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. I'm only a few away. Yeah. So I'll probably end up finishing the show like tomorrow. Well, hey, speaking of binging, I too was mm. up quite late last night, Ooh. but I just decided to sit down because they just released a season finale of Westworld. Uh, of course. Series finale, sorry. That's it. Is it really? Number Westworld. Wow. Crazy. So four seasons of Westworld. Uh, I just sat down and watched, I think it was the last six episodes or eight episodes and watched six of them. Um, Were you like waiting for them all to come out? No, I just forgot. And then I was like, (laughs) I got like three out of two episodes in. I was like, yeah, this is right. Four is definitely the weakest season. Okay. Um, A lot of, um, they just wrap it up pretty quickly and within Mm. two episodes. Okay. Um, 
And it, yeah, look, it, it was a, it was fine. I think it was a fine season. I don't really, unfortunately, with Westworld, and this is why I think the first two seasons are just great, and then it's very hard to when they're inside the park. Mm. Three was pretty good, but. I just don't know if they knew what to do with season four. Like, it still works. Or is one collective science fiction series. Sure. But it was tough to go past... I think because the first season, that was written by Jonathan Nolan. And to be fair, Lisa Joy took over, I think, season two and three. And she Mm -hmm. was really strong. But she wasn't there for four. They were just EPs. And I just feel like, to be honest, I just... It got very meta towards the end. Like, the final episode is just so meta. It's kind of a concern. In itself, in itself, in itself. And it was sort of reliant, I think, on little cameos. And, Mm. yeah. Because so many characters die in the episode before. Sure. And, yeah, I don't know. It just was sort of like... I was walked away from it and I was like, that was okay, I guess. Like, I I didn't feel like... Oh my god, the ending. I didn't feel mm. as deflated as Game of Thrones ending. Right. Which was like... I just... Same... Very similar thing to what happened in Game of Thrones' this last two episodes happened in... In Westworld. Uh, in Westworld, okay. in which a lot of the cast just gets wiped off the face. <laughs> right. Just gets... But they kind of... But they allude to it very early on in the start of season four. They're like, basically everyone's going to die, which is what they did in Game of Thrones too. Except... Because there's so many deaths in such a short period of time, you're just sort of like... None of them feel that I impactful. have no... Res- yeah, I can't savour these deaths. Yeah. And also in a show where a lot of you, a lot of your characters are robots that come back from the dead so much, <laughs> you almost become... <laughs> you kind of lose your um, sensitivity to it. Yeah. I feel like the first two seasons were cool. Mm. But the first, the first season was lifted because it had amazing writing. You were introduced to the world of Westworld... You followed, like, the main character through actually experiencing Westworld as a mm-hmm. as a park. And then sort of they had the whole AI cognizant stuff happening with Rachel Evanwood, who was great, yep. and James Marsden. Great casting. Um, and then Anthony Hopkins sort of, of course, lifts yeah. the show in the first season. And to be fair, Jeffrey Wright the whole way through is great. Mm-hmm. Like, he's great. And, uh, and um, which Hemsworth is it? One it's, of it's one of the Hemsworth. Well. It's not Liam Luke. What's the other one's name? Is it Ben? What is it Ben? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's Ben. I feel so bad. Oh, I think it's a whole career. I'm sure they don't feel that Hemsworth. bad. <laughs> I'm sure Chris pays all their mortgages for them anyway. Oh, it's, it's Luke Hemsworth. That's oh, Luke, right? Yeah. Um, Have you seen the video where Woody Harrison learns of the the Hemsworth brothers? No. Oh, it's great. You should look it up. But yeah, and, and sometimes I, I and there's some great performance. I even forgot to mention Emma Thompson. It's a massive mm. cast of really talented actors and actresses. But yeah, I just that last I saw that last season. I felt quite deflated because I was sort of like, oh, so this was the big, this was the end, right? And it almost it ends as it begins, which is a very cyclical. In nature, very simple science fiction storytelling, but I, I sometimes feel like we've gone beyond that, you know? Right, the, kind the of classic feel, bookend sort of... It it yeah. really is how I feel when I watch Serenity, like the Firefly movie that right. wrapped up the Firefly show. Does this feel too clean? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. Mm. A little too clean. 
That's fair enough. And it just sort of doesn't... It doesn't really answer the questions, but I feel like the questions were too bold and big to answer. Mm. As quick as... I think they did pretty well. Oh, yeah, Aaron Pauls was really good in those two seasons. Sure. So, there, there were things to like about it. I didn't hate it. Yeah, Not like course. Game of Thrones, where I was like... I did. I still haven't watched the last episode of Game of Thrones. What? Yeah. I've watched The Bells, the one before the last episode. You've watched every episode but of the, last... the entire series, except the ending. And I know. And you Why? Because I just hated it. I hated it so oh, much. jeez. I know. I will watch it. I'll probably watch it now. I've got binge. Well, you got binge. I mean, hey, you... What episode of, and I've done? What, what time to start Game of Thrones then today of all yeah. days? <laughs> but, yeah, that's... I think it's I the, resent- that about you. It's the resentment I felt because you put so much effort into a show only for them to wrap it up to then go and make... Just because they really wanted to make the show that's coming out today. Right. Um... And that, I, I, I guess that was the deal, wasn't it? That was they it. They really wanted to make the spin-off. They wanted to make the spin-off, so they were like, we ought to wrap this up. Whereas, and they wrapped everything up too clean. And in right. that show especially, in both the shows, clean just didn't work. Okay. So, there That's we are. A shame. What about you, Jake? Yeah, well, look, speaking of clean endings, but maybe in in, in the better use of the word, the I did promise to talk a bit more about Better Call Saul today, because it is finished. It's wrapped. Last Tuesday was the you, final episode. I've been coping. I've been... <laughs> you know what? I'm just sort of... Because so much of the anxiety of waiting for an episode of Better Call Saul coming mm. is just like, you want to know what happens. And it's like, I know what happens now. It's all out there. It's done. They've yep. they've they've put the, the end tip of the silo, I guess is, is, is the way to pull it. A, a double-sided silo with Breaking Bad. They sort of even filled in a few more... Not plot holes, but like some niceties of like, ah, oh, here's a little extra closure mm-hmm. about what happened here, and um, there's a great, great cameo. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it because I'd still love you to watch it. Yep. But that being said, it's like I'm pretty sure the cover of Entertainment Weekly this week is like the last shot of the series, which totally spoils the ultimate fates of of Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman, Kim Wexler. It's like it's all out there now at this point. I won't spoil it for you. But that being said. My boss asked me the other day, like, oh, does it get into the Breaking Bad stuff? Like, because mm. he, he watched a couple of episodes, wasn't very interested. And I said, I'm like, well, I'm not going to recommend it to you because you're going to have you, you're going to have to want to see a new story and new yeah. characters. If you want just the Breaking Bad goodness, this is not enough of it. There's a there's sprinkles of it right at the end, right in the last few episodes. You get your Walt cameo, your Jesse cameo. You get your Emilio cameo, for God's sakes. You know, it's all there, but it's like, mm. it's in little sprinkles. And it's so interwoven with the, the Gene Takovic, Jimmy McGill storyline. Yeah. That it's so hard to watch it um, without that extra con- context of having seen the entire series up until that point. But look, in terms of the show itself, I was very satisfied with the ending. I think it's one of the only endings that really makes sense. Um, I think it became very clear. Uh, I know Peter Gould talked about this last season being sort of the Rubik's Cube from hell because they do mm-hmm. have to sort of find the perfect way to in across the two timelines and make it all make sense and be entertaining and, and not be too fan servicey with the cameos. And um, and I think he really did nail it. And the fact he even acknowledged that as, okay, he understood the, the monumental task at, at mm. hand. But at the end of the day... And I'll, I'll say, I know a lot of people have talked about Better Call Saul's a love story. 
and I think it's that's true to an extent. I think it is more a show about process, mm-hmm. which you could argue Breaking Bad is too. I mean, the process of meth cooking, the process of transformation, yeah. and there is a transformation from Jimmy McGill to Sogun, but there's also a process of you know ha- spending half an episode with Mike trying to find a bug in his car. Or Jimmy going across the country to get Huel out of jail with this the most elaborate scheme of all time. Like this is so much fun in the details of how the show drags all of these storylines out mm. and lets them sort of breathe and evolve and, and it is such a contrast to almost every other show that I've been watching lately. You know, it's not a knock on the boys, but it's so much more fast paced than Soul. And yeah. it's something I, I know I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna just really miss how slow-paced and deliberate Better Call Saul was. So I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss the Breaking Bad universe. They sound like they're pretty much done for a good while. I think Aaron Paul even came out and said, he's like, yeah, I'm done with Jesse. There's there's nothing left to to say there, which is I think is totally fair enough. I mean, they've told the story, the trifecta of stories. I won't spoil the, the Saul Goodman uh, fate, if you will, but you sort of look at the trifecta of Walt dies, Jesse escapes. Well, what what's the third outcome? So it's kind of all cemented, I feel like. Um, but there's a poetry to that. I feel like did I send you that poster I found of someone drew it where it's it's um you know the three different posters from Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, and El Camino. But it's basically this downward hill that is Better Call Saul that turns into the full sprint ahead, the you know the long road that is Breaking Bad, and then the up the uphill that is El Camino, the escape for Jesse, mm. sort of thing. Um, I don't know if I sent you that. No. I, sent, I sent it a few people. It's, oh, it's such a beautiful like uh, poetry of what the whole trilogy of Albuquerque crime stories that that became. But I wonder if anyone's going to move to Albuquerque. Yeah, <laughs> just to see the Walt Jesse <laughs> statues. I would love to visit. I'm not really. I'm kind of on the record of being like, I have very, 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 very little reason to visit the United States in my life. It just seems far too dangerous for any good reason to go. Other than to visit Albuquerque and just see all these wonderful landscapes. Because these shows are very important to me. I'd yeah. love to see that. But anyway, it I'm going to miss it. I'm, I can't wait to buy that last little Blu-ray that comes out. I'm sure it's going to be good. And uh, Sure it will. Yeah. So, to end cap that beautiful note of a beautiful show wrapping up, there's a new show that just started, Zeke. It's not quite as beautiful. Mm. as a, it's, it's a bit ugly in some ways. I watched She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Episode Uno. Ooh. Hey, Zeke, Zeke how, holy, crap. Go, holy crap. Holy <laughs> crap. I've heard some things. I did not like this at all. I usually... Okay, look. I, I give Marvel a lot of passes i think there are things i i think wandavision's great for for a good majority of it i think there was some interesting social political commentary in falcon and the winter soldier and i think loki's a bit of fun you know i give all the i like eternals for god's sakes i i give these shows passes and these marvel especially modern marvel passes she hulk is like just the perfect combination of all the things wrong with Marvel and and Baffos and Disney like like we say passive progressivism and it's just the perfect combination of all the things that are wrong with Disney and Marvel these days. I heard she beats Hulk in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, it's funny because and that was a it, big that was a big like. Rah. 
everyone's angry about that. Look, I everyone hulked out about it. There's definitely problems about it because first off, it's Marvel doing what Sex in the City sort of sassy mid thirties single woman trying to make it in the big city sort of vibe. I get they're trying to do that and interject the superhero thing. You have Jennifer who's like a lawyer. She wants to be a good, respectable lawyer, but oh no, um, Bruce Banner's blood spilt onto her cut on her skin so now she's a hulk too but she also there's no process to her learning to control her rage because i thought that would be cool oh we're going to see a new side of bruce banner who's excited to be like a teacher of sorts that to sit down and be like all right well here are all the notes i've crafted over the last 15 years of all the things i've learned through this journey and this is going to be a hard journey for you here you go and it's like oh but she's already she's already perfect there, there is no anger issues. There's no alter ego. She's just green now. So it's he's like, oh, okay, well, that's annoying. So it's like, that's kind of a lose-lose character-wise because there's no room for her so to what's develop. Her, what's her arc? There's no room for her to develop and there's no room for, for Bruce Banner to have like something we haven't seen before in terms of his personality, his storyline. So I like I don't know why. What, what What's the purpose of that? Uh, it there was just a lot of like those kinds of things. Because the um, whole like the the amount of like they're tying her womanly emotions into her hulking out, and you can see how it's gonna go, because Bruce is trying to tell her, you, you know, you now have a responsibility to be a superhero. You can't be a lawyer anymore, and it's like okay, well they're obviously gonna do the thing by ep- there's nine episodes, which I was like really, there's not like two. I gotta just be two. Um, nine episodes to get to the portion where she's like, well, lawyering is a superpower and I am allowed to embrace my womanly emotions. And I keep saying womanly emotions because this show makes it evidently clear that this girl is having girl emotions and that all men are creeps and that all other women that aren't the protagonist are just ditzy sort of women that, oh, this girl has bruises on her. Let's cover her in makeup. How um, how does defying gender expectations work by just reinforcing them over and over again in the show? It's like walking chaos. Like that was just that was a joke that film in regards to how it dealt with gender. Like anyway, yeah. I could go on for a while. But I was gonna say it's uh, got you riled up. Well, you it, better be careful. You don't turn into a. I know. Look, it didn't like anger me, but it was just like I was just baffled. I was like, wow, like this. I understand like a lack of self-awareness maybe with the Marvel stuff and they they sort of have these reoccurring themes that people don't like. And I'm not someone who hates the smart Hulk. Like, oh, I miss Angry Hulk. I actually like what they did with him in, in Endgame. By the way, they're still doing the whole like he's mourning the loss of Tony Stark. That film came out like four years ago. A character still more. Are we still doing this? That's They have too many characters. It takes seven yeah. years to get through each character's morning. Yeah, process. pretty much. Yeah. Oh god. Anyway, I'm knowing my OCD. I'm gonna have to watch the rest of it just so I can tick it off my TV time <laughs> app. But um, I'm not looking forward to it. And by the way, the VFX. I feel bad for those artists because they were obviously very rushed to do this. But the, the VFX doesn't look good. That was a whole thing with the trailer. Oh, it looks terrible. He looks good. She looks really. I don't know what. I don't know if it's like her skin smoother, and that's why it doesn't look as yeah. The lighting isn't. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. It just looks really yeah, bad. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just temp fight and watch it because I'm like you. Yeah. I would then have to sit through and complete it. Yeah. How about your 
your father was enough this year for, <laughs> for Disney political correctness. Slowly sucking the. It's just, it's just, it can be more subtle. You know what I mean? No. Like it just, it's straight up trying to be like the Sex in the City in your face, girl power. That they already had it's... that monologue in the very first episode. She already has the monologue to Bruce about. Well, I am used to controlling my temper because guys, you know, cat call me every day, and like we immediately we get that monologue. And it's like, okay, I, I guess we really got to hammer it home. <laughs> we really got to make it clear to the audience what the it deal is. It clearly must work, though. It must it must yield more positive results than negative. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep making it the way that they're it, making it. It appeals to the, the lowest common denominator, so they get the most bang for their well, buck. Well, because, I mean, yeah, and that's it. And because, you know, it's like you're still going to watch it. Even despite disliking it because mm. it plays on an OCD or and most Marvel fans will do it because they're in the same completionist mindset they'll hate it yeah I went into it with believe it or not I went into it with an open mind I know you would I did I, I, can, I didn't even bother with Moon Knight and all that I didn't bother I haven't seen 4 yet I really don't care yeah but She-Hulk I was like there's something here that I'm interested in yeah and I went in and was mildly disappointed by the results but we'll see Hey, is it, maybe, is it, maybe it gets better. Maybe. Maybe, maybe episode Sounds two like is all, the best. all the way is up. I know. Right. Now that Saul Goodman's left my attorney law life, I need another yeah, attorney. You need a new lawyer. I need a new lawyer. Just watch Daredevil. It, it's She-Hulk. Well, he's going to be in it, apparently. Oh, good. Cool. He's going to be in there. And she's, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, only other things I saw this week, I walked past my mum watching 13 Lives, which is the new Ron Howard film about the Thai soccer team. I saw a lot of negative reviews on this. I liked what I saw. It seemed like a very straightforward, like, focusing on the community and the rescuers and just the process of them trying to drain the caves and how much effort it went to get the kids. I liked what I saw. Okay. And I did not like his last film, Hillbilly Elegy. So I'm not, I'm not like a, a Ryan Howard defender here. Yeah. I'm just saying I saw, like, a good 30 minutes and I was like, yeah, this looks well, great. Ron Howard's very... It's a very capable yeah. director. Yeah. And I haven't even seen his best films. But I can tell you that. Anyway, I just wanted to give that a shout out as well. I saw two short films related to the director that we're about to talk about. Beautiful. But is there anything else you've seen in the last week? No. Nope. I'm ready to move into the film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? This week in the show, Zeke. We're watching Fresh. Nom, 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 nom. Have you ever had these... Grapes? No. Cotton candy grapes. They taste just like them. I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah. I told my sister and my niece, and they were like, no way, fuck you. So now I'm getting them on my way there. Your niece said, fuck you? Yeah. Four-year-olds are crazy. <laughs> All right. I can tell you don't believe me, so you're going to have to try one. I don't want you leaving here thinking I'm a weirdo. Right? Oh, shit. Mm. Wow. Science. Yeah. <laughs> Go with science. <laughs> Do you live around here? Because I, I live on aisle six. I just <sighs> come to the fruit section to talk to random, very good-looking people that stand near it. That was terrible. It was kind of terrible. I'm so sorry. It's fine. Have a good night. <laughs> okay, you too. You know what? Fuck it. I, I'm already ruining this, so I'm just going to keep going. Do you think I can have your number? Frustrated by scrolling dating apps, only to end up on lame, tedious dates, 
Noah takes a chance by giving her number to an awkwardly charming Steve after a produce section meet-cute at a grocery store. It's always at a produce section. Yeah, when I think of fresh meats, (laughs) cutes, fresh meat cutes. I'm thinking of cute, cute dating meetups. That's what I'm thinking of. I don't know what movie you you watch. I've never gone to Coles and been like (laughs) in the fresh produce section and seen someone and been like, yeah, I'm going to hit on them. Like, I feel like... Because you didn't have the ulterior motive, though. Sebastian Stan does. Yeah, this is so true. That, there you go. That's I your can't, excuse. I can't, I can't say if I saw I Lucinda in a grocery store, I'd be like, that's where I want to say you're really pretty and great. No, it's not my not my go-to. Fair enough. Mainly because she wouldn't be in the fresh produce section. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jake, you caught her out. She wouldn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> She'd, be, she'd probably be near the uh, like the snacks. I will say, though, when I was in Albany with Kirsty, we spent way more time in the produce section than I ever imagined spending in a single, in a single week. <laughs> I was going to say, it's the reverse. It's like she, she, she would never see you in the fresh produce <laughs> section. <laughs> yeah, well. No, she's making, me a bet, she's making me a better eater. That's good. I ate so much broccolini in the last week. How good is broccoli? I, I've turned around. Yeah. I you, it's deceptively not green tasting. It tastes like exactly like holy flour. Keep it up, Kirsty. Keep feeding him veggies. I know. I'm gonna get skinnier and fitter and healthier, and that means I have more lung capacity for this podcast. Everybody, everyone wins. Everyone, everybody wins. Everyone wins. <laughs> so fresh, except the people get eaten in this film. They don't win. Mm. Opening credits don't come in until 33 minutes. 33 minutes. I I had to pause the film and write that down. That was insane. 33 minutes. That's insane. But what I love that? it because that, that's that's sort of the perfect... I mean, in a lot of other films, that would almost be like your midpoint twist where it's like, this is what yeah. the film really is. It was better than... um, What was it? Who used it? McKay used it in um, Vice. Oh, the fake, fake out the credits. Fake out, fake out ending. Sure. Whereas this was not a fake out ending. This was a, a opening scroll. It was not pretending to be the end of a movie. Well, it was sort of, it was sort of book hallmarking the end of... The movie you thought you the were The End watching. of Innocence, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The cute, the cute datesy rom-com film you kind of thought you were getting into. And I wanted to compare it to Ready or Not, which is a film I did not think very highly of. But I thought that was one of the biggest issues with that film is that it could have easily have done the, the two films in secret where it starts as sort of a rom-com, rom-com you know, wedding trying to impress the family of the groom. And, and then it turns into this big crazy psycho mass murdering killing spree yeah. fun dark comedy film and i think this handled it a little better it just felt like all the things leading up to that were a bit more subtle with the the close-ups on the smacking of the lips and the chewing and just the eerie music during like their first sex scene for example because they're only sex scene well, kind of the and the only one that doesn't end very bloodily <laughs> if people have made it to the end of this film but there's a lot of like little clues in here of the kind mm. of film you're actually going to get in the second half. Yeah. Really, the the, the last two thirds. Yes. Right, 33 minutes. That's more like a third into the film. But no, I really... I, I thought that was really cool how they did that. It was quite nifty. But ultimately, we've made a lot of jokes already about num, 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 num. Hmm. Yeah. It's the it's the fresh meat. It's the eat people movie. It's... it's uh, I'm not going to say his name. It's a feature debut for Mimi Cave. It is, yeah. So the two shorts that I had saw 
which are respectively available on YouTube and Vimeo, is Vessel, 2015 short film, and I'm Happy, I Promise, 2019 short film she did, which are both both sort of hint at the style she's going for. The Vessel is a lot more uh, psychedelic in the sense that it's about a young, like, six-year-old boy being taken out by his mum in the middle of the night and going on a drive. And it's sort of about the weird hallucinogenic uh, journey that the kid's going on. So they really play with lighting, um, surrealistic lighting, and and uh, shot reverse shot with different mm. people playing his mother with different voices coming out of their mouths and really like experimental stuff, which is in fresh. But then you've got a film like I'm Happy, I Promise, which is a lot more um, fun, where it's it's almost like a recorded phone call that they've like shot the, the visuals for afterwards. Mm. It's kind of like the interdimensional cables for Rick and Morty, where they're almost oh, like okay. shooting... Um, or even you know what better example in the boys, of course you have um, you have the child sending um, sending Butcher a Lego stop motion video mm. that he shot, which is based on a phone call. So he's making visuals based on that. Um, that's pretty much what I'm happy I promise is, or at least that's what it feels like. So you kind of get a bit of both her fun and darker elements in yeah. those two films merged together in in what you said is her first feature. This one, yeah. Very exciting yeah, that's, stuff. That's cool that you had a look at her shorts. Mm. Yeah, they're very easy to find in, on Vessel, and I'm happy. I promise. Look them up. Okay. Yeah, this is so. First initial thoughts: positive. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I was sort of umming an R between a three and a three and a half star because, like we talked about at the start of the show, not not that this film is like a big revelation in social commentary per se. It's obviously a lot more fun and and satire than that. But I liked a lot of the ideas that are baked in there, especially about sort of, and you know, we, just, we joked about She-Hulk, but I felt like this film does a much better job at showing the emphasis of women banding together, you know, um, to you know, be careful, be cautious, be safe, especially in this world where you really can't trust anyone. And it, and you're right, it does. The film does start as like, oh, it's a, she's going for a dating app, and it's basically disconnected. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it starts for Having a while. Another really bad date. Yeah, no, with uh, with Molly as sort of the stand-in. She literally has the line of like, oh, he doesn't have an Instagram. That's a red flag. I was like, this is so disconnected. I'm, I'm like uh, cringing a little bit at how much this is like disconnected. Thankfully, it's not by the end. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very purposely steering you in the wrong direction, um, which I think, I think is fun because it almost is highlighting, obviously, Sebastian Stan is, he's awkward, but he's, he's you know, he's quite charming and, He's persistent enough, but he's interesting. He's good to talk to. He's a doctor. You know, all, all the right beats are there for this very stereotypical romance they're going to build together. And they have the great scene at the bar where they're just sort of conversing about nothing. But it is romantic and cute in that way. And they've got that rapport. And it is deceptive. Yeah. Which is cool. I think you buy into it. Yeah. You buy no, into his course. charm. It's not... The red flags only start to appear when... She's in the car on the way out to the middle of nowhere. I think that's the only time you start to go, ah. Oh. Yeah. And and to be fair, it's it's still subtle enough. There's like the the ho- typical horror, what's happening in the background of the frame is starting mm. to occur. Yes. With that first shot when she's in the apartment and is like, I can't get any like Wi-Fi. And he's mm. like, oh, it must be down again. Oh, uh, not, not again. Here we go. Well, my favorite, and again, all the little build-up elements of, you know, the eerie music during the sex scene and the 
sort of the close-up on the mouth, the lip smacking, all that. My favorite was literally just the POV shot after she has that drink. And it's like it, her, his face is just a little bit more like smeared in each one. Where the first couple of times we cut to it, I'm like, am I... Is this just something wrong with the focal lens? Yeah. Like it took me a couple of cuts before I was like, okay, no, this is definitely... She's getting drugged. I kind of like the just the subtle little build up towards. Okay, yep, that's yeah. It still takes its time a, a bit, you know, really, yeah. Which I, I well, it takes thirty three minutes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but even like like the introduction to him, like it has a good pace to it. Like mm. like when she's first tied up, like they milk that scene when he's like, "Look, you're gonna freak out." Like he's just yeah. so casual mm. and not not sinister in the conventional like haha i've got you like it's it's that under it's kind of, it's kind of that ted bundy thing almost oh they, the, there's 100% a suaveness the, the, to it the the bundyism is is there yeah, like from yeah. the turtle the way they dress sebastian stan was oh, especially so after the turn yeah yeah so bundy-esque for yeah. sure and just the the matter of fatness that he had with that of like oh no 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 this is this is happening and her, like, the slow build-up for, for Daisy um, Edgar Jones, like, this, it's such a great scene for her because that slow realisation of, well, the situation that's happening and the way she plays it and the way it's edited where it, it is sort of a slow burn of, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, this is real. Um, but then your mind starts to wonder of, like, okay, you've confirmed this horrible thing is happening. You've been kidnapped, you're chained to the side of this room. But that's still all you know. And at that point, your mind's just racing based on, well, what is his plan? What is he going to do? And she probably didn't even think of the whole selling and eating meat aspect Mm. of it. But he says it right out. He says, I'm not going to rape you. So he's obviously quite aware. He's done it enough times. As we know, he's got many different captives or hostages, we should say. Um, but he's sort of used to the process of, of not grief, but um, the process that the women he kidnaps would go through in that realisation. And then what's so sickening, though, is how there's the illusion. We don't know exactly how much time has passed. It's been at least several days, yeah. you can imagine. But the fact that there is sort of a vagueness to uh, how much time has passed is even more creepy. Because you can imagine you got um, Penny who's like locked in the other room, and I like that you never actually, you don't see what she looks like until like the very last well, yeah. sequence. But you have no earthly idea how long she's been in there, and she doesn't either. That's part of her fear is like she's given up on even trying to keep track of the time of day or how long she's been in there. I think a lot of those unsaid things is what makes the film evidently more creepy, which is also why I'm surprised it's got an R rating. Mm. Like, even you don't really see much. Obviously, the ending's pretty violent. I can, <laughs> I'll give you that. But even when he's dealing, willing and dealing with like legs and, and limbs, you know, it's all, they're already essentially frozen and oh, cut. Yeah. We don't they're see the essentially pieces of meat. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, there's that one scene where he's got the leg, mm. and it's a leg, but. But an R rating for the leg. Yeah. I, I, it's probably for the violence you're right towards the end of the film but I was surprised because like I think because there is an element of satire where there, there is enough funny things here and I think 
sort of the scene at the end where the, the girls do gang up in him. There is sort of... You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the ending to Death Proof. Have you seen Death Proof? No. With Tarantino? That's so good. I love that film. I don't care what anyone says. I love that film. And the ending is... It's actually very similar to the ending to this film, but, like, even more in your face about, like, just the girl power violence yeah. of the whole thing. And I think this film plays with it safely enough in the sense that I think up until that point, it's been slowly unveiling the story. And I think it especially becomes apparent when we meet Anne, who's uh, who's Sebastian Stan's wife. And I think it's really interesting that she's, first off, um, imbued into this, where I immediately was like, okay, she's covering for him. Yeah. She's not oblivious. She knows what's going on. She's covering for it. But the fact that she also is has a you know dismembered leg and that she was a victim to his what would you even call it an obsession or a well it's a pretty extreme fetish <laughs> <laughs> well that's it it's it's very business like isn't it yeah it's how he makes his living he has clients he sells you know pieces of meat to yeah it's kind of anyone who works at a slaughterhouse so yeah i i'm with you i don't know if I think it's yeah. just the the fear factor too. I mean, mm. it's 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 almost beyond. It's that almost that underlying sort of. So it's that, and this is probably another reason why it sits in that R rating. Is is mm. you know, it, 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 one of the first things that springs off the top of my mind is like, what's this film like? And then the first thing that pops up is like Midsummer, right. and oh. I would even go <laughs> as far as say, though I haven't seen Hereditary, I have seen uh, sure. what the. Was it the secret about the Johnsons? Like the oh, the, the, short the strange thing, thing about, about the Johnsons, yeah. Where yeah. obviously that's a sexual trauma, sure. but it's still conceded behind just its over darkness yeah. is, is what beyond human conception is why yeah. that there's that subservient nature there, which could play into this the fact that mm. no rational person will believe that her leg is dismembered because of. Uh, because of what her husband is what doing. Is, yeah. So, sure. Well, it's sort of which that. Which is obviously just like a, with an analog for trauma and yeah. abusive relationships. And... Well, what it, what's interesting about it is what it says about gender throughout the film. And in particular, like, you obviously have the opening scene where he's she's sort of with this um, sort of this pompous date uh, that she's with. And he's very, um, what's the word? Like self-obsessed. And he's, yeah. and he's talking about himself. And he... He gets his uh his scarf on his food and he gets like angry about it. And then immediately calls her a bitch when she says she's not really interested in the second day. Yeah. And so you get that kind of, I wouldn't. I mean, it is a stereotype, I guess, of like you know the bad, pompous date Absolutely. sort of thing. But it, it's like it's done with an intent of like, okay, well this is the kind of, um, the kind of guys that she's used to dealing with. So that's why she's swayed by someone who's as suave as Sebastian Stan is. But in terms of what it says about the white agendas, it's you have um, Paul, who's the bartender, who kind of serves... Originally, I thought it was Molly that was sort of serving that Rod Williams get-out role of mm. the detective who's going <laughs> to find the location and save the day sort of thing. Yeah. And obviously, Molly ends up getting caught as well. So it's like, oh, it's going to be Paul. Instead, he finds the place and then just backs up. He's scared. He's like, nope, I'm not... I'm not. He's like, nope. Just like, just like last week's. Yeah, just like last I liked week's. it. Oh, I liked thank it. you, I thank you, it. thank you. I was, I was waiting for an acknowledgement. No, I liked it. Oh, very good. Um, <laughs> but you know, he said nope, and then he get out of there. 
So that's another one right there, folks. Just uh, This is free content, by the way. We're giving these out yeah. for free. Yeah. All these puns and witticisms that we have. But, you know, in, in terms of the guy's not going to save the day. He sees Anne, he's like, I'm out of here. But then there's the element of Anne, who is now freed of her husband's, what would you call it? Torment is probably the best mm. way to... She's, she's ecstatic and completely bewildered. Like, I'm free! You know, He's dead, you've killed him, I'm free! But then she's still choking her. And it's like, I thought that was interesting because they didn't go quite into like, oh, well, they're all going to relate to each other because they're women. There's still that one twisted angle that is just sort of unrecoverable for Anne. Yeah, well, she's beyond um, comprehension. Mm. I just thought that was an interesting... There are other reasons why this is R2. Right. I mean, (laughs) certain things get dismembered. Oh, Uh, that's true. um... (laughs) That is the sex scene that does end a bit more bloodier than the other one. But that's off screen, though. Yeah, it's that, it's heavily like imp- implied. I'm sorry, but the implication's enough to give me an R. For, uh, okay. For okay, that particular enough. act. I, I've worked on short films where we saw way more. Yeah. Well, we all don't want to go more. into the basement. <laughs> that's not even the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about another one where um, there was full-on production design. Oh, in that, but, um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but forget what it was called now. Right, yeah. We we know. Well, it, it never actually. It's not out yet. I don't think. Oh, okay. Well, it, don't go to the basement. It never, is out. That that's another one. Yeah. Which but that is was also an intentional. Very, that was gore. also very screwed up. <laughs> yeah. But to that point, it's like even that. Look, I'm not going to get into cement. I don't really care at the end of the day whether it's rated R or not. Mm. I just thought it was interesting because a lot of it is off screen. A lot of it is heavily implied. Do you like the the, the dark implied. comedy punchline at the end, like Chad messaging at the end? Oh, that was great. That was great. Well, it's good because as soon as he, as soon as you learn his name is Chad, you're like, of course his name is Chad. So it is almost like that's planted there so that you remember who Chad is in the very last shot of yeah. the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think obviously subject matter. You're 100 percent right. There is that satirical way there. There's sure. that sorry to bother you level of mm. absurdism to undertone a, a really poignant dialogue that's trying this film's trying to get across mm. where of course the one guy that's nice to her is a cannibal in a satanic cult <laughs> and buying and selling me and the chad line at the end is deliberate to be like this is the it's almost the never-ending cycle of yeah there's a line very early on that i believed so i was a little this was actually interesting i actually thought molly was like her friend Molly, um, right. I thought was like um, she'll be very active. She has a very active like social life. She's like very comfortable in her single her image. Whereas sure, she's a bit more outgoing and um, whereas Noah's very like a bit co- more reserved. Yeah, and codependent. Like she's lonely. Like she wants right. to be in a relationship. Yeah. and and Molly's the one who's like, no, you need to be one with yourself. You need to be your own woman. Sure. Which obviously this. Traumatic experience does allow Noah that su- that survivalist <laughs> instinct, I guess. Um, but it, it's quite interesting because, like you said, I thought the Molly character was going to serve a Rod-like situation where she would yeah. come at the end and rescue after this traumatic incident. So it's interesting that she gets captured too. I, I do think that actually detracts. It would have always been nice for 
Molly to almost be the the lumberjack and the Red Riding Hood story coming mm. in and, and saving the day and kicking butt. Especially, I feel like they set it up that way. Like, Molly's is really tough. Like, she's there in the gym. She's beating up. Like, it would have been sure, cool yeah. to almost have that. Yeah. Like, obviously, they still have to work together. Yeah. Like, but of course, Noah does some pretty hectic, hectic stuff. So, it's like... <laughs> She's accomplished what she needs to, so it would have well, part, almost... Yeah, part of the reason she accomplishes what she does is, and again, in terms of the the togetherness that women as a group will have to go to, of like, you know, sharing your location through the phone, um, leaving notes in magazines to, of like, you know, you have to basically persuade Sebastian Stan in order to overcome him, and then, you know, that false sense of security where they're having dinner and they're about to make love and... Um, there's a lot of those little hints that are left around each other where they almost have to work together to overcome it as opposed to the Rod Wilson, one person comes in and saves the day sort of thing. Yeah. Well, um, obviously Rod doesn't save the day. Sure, Rod, sure. Rod, Rod it, comes in. We can end. be, yeah, specific about that. But but like you said, the, the Lumberjack and Red Whiting, that, that specific role. And then I think beyond that, of like, okay, well, let's get everyone in the same room. There's sort of like a shared punishment where like she's almost punished as in you know she gets kind of chopped up and and her meat sold as well it's almost like this cruel irony of because she's friends with her she's sort of they're both stuck in the situation together even though only one of them engaged in the relationship only one of them wanted to go away with the person and then the 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 false setup of you know the guy paul he's going to be the lumberjack to save the day not not be cowards out so i like a lot of those elements of how they've um sort of build it up i did read i can't remember who said it someone did talk about the third act being a bit long i i didn't mind it probably like the the whole extended chase outside of the mm. the building potentially it's probably a little long know. probably could have made a, a taken maybe 10 minutes off but i didn't think it was I uh, yeah wasn't i wasn't too bothered, bothered by the pacing it goes along very smoothly. I mean, the fact of the matter is you're invested in the relationship initially. Yeah. And then once it turns into a survival horror, it turns into, like, misery, <laughs> which we did very recently. It does. Um, then, you know, you're engaged for that reason of, you know, pure survival. Is she going to get out? How is she going to overcome this? Yeah, and, so and maybe the, the, well. the Molly, ca- you know, being captured adds that extra element to buy into the, the, the captive situation a little longer, too, because... It raises the stakes. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it all it all comes together really well, and um, I like the specifically when she's sort of playing into that role of like you know they're gonna fall in love and they have that second dinner and he dresses her up and everything. I love the we talked about the dancing earlier. The fun fact was Sebastian Sands audition, but that their dancing is finally in complete synchronicity in the end, which is almost like the sign that he's completely fallen into a trap at this point. And then maybe he thinks the synchronicity means that they're like gelling together and this is all going to happen. But I think for her, it means, okay, there is a, he's ready to... And I mean, there is, there is a, you know, and to bring it into a capitalistic framework, mm. uh, this, this film is definitely trying to say like, the way men perceive relationships with women is like a commodity. Sure, yeah. And like, what can they gain out of it? Or is the supply and demand being met, you know? Mm. So, you know, you take Brendan or slash Steve. Sure. Um, and he, at first, obviously, to lure 
know her into mm. into that sense of security is is very accommodating to her needs but it is all just farcical to serve what he wants which yeah. is overtly is just to chop them up and use them to you know as a clientele mm. yeah to, and, to make and living. noah has yeah. to then sort of fit into the character that she wants in order to get the opportunities to to escape and that's by by you know and we actually see that in the opening it's good setup i mean with mm. the chad scene though it's bare bones a little funny like and mm. and you know, Chad is very much a Chad. He is, <laughs> and he's deliberately that harsh and that, yep. uh, like it. We've talked about it with things like um, Never Really, Sometimes Always, where yep. the men are just dialed to eleven on mm. their their negative masculine traits, and but it's made as a commentary from almost having that female perspective meets male perspective, and yeah, we get that. There. Well, the film and is stylized enough that you know it's not trying to really. It's not trying to make you believe that all men are literally like that. It's trying to uh, paint the world in that way of like, yeah. here's our protagonist. She's lonely. She's wants to be in a relationship. She's scrolling through all these dating. But apps. these are her options. These are her options exactly. So uh, it works in that context. Yeah, and and obviously that happens again. And it's like we see when Molly goes up to Paul and is looking for help. Paul's not thinking. He's thinking he's got the the capabilities of being mm. like the lumberjack to save the day until things get difficult and yep. then is, is pulling out because he doesn't really know him. But no. it was, it was a commodity-based held... relationship. It's like, oh, if I help her find her friend, I'm going to get something out of yes. this. Yeah. Um, As opposed to just the pure friendship of like, I love you, I love you more. That just a pure friendship between yeah. between those two girls in particular. Yeah. But then also with, um, with Penny because now like they've all saved each other in a sense. Oh, it's great. Girl power. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, I just, let's quickly talk about the camera because I wanted to give a shout out to you know to to her um, camera direction because it's, there's a bit of like you know shot reverse shot basic coverage, but there's a lot of times where the camera's doing some interesting swooping yeah. motions. I like the one where we first meet Paul the bartender, where we sort of swoop over her shoulder, and then a lot of times when she's... I think it's like the the little dinner plate that she has mm. and the camera does like that Midsommar upside-down tilt shot, which is really cool. I just wanted to give a shout-out because there's a lot of inventive camera work for, for like you said, a first-time feature director. Yeah, there's, there's some styles in there for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I just... I appreciated it. Kept it flowing even better. But yeah, otherwise, Zeke, what's your highlight scene? Um... Oh. I actually... I'm a big fan. I do like that that intro bar scene but oh when they first sort of their first date yeah it, it it has a nice flow to it it sort of subtly introduces paul as a character too which is mm. really nice um i think that's a really strong that's a really strong scene i think it would probably be that one or oh I actually really like the Chad intro scene. I like the way it sets sure. up too. Yeah. The stylism, the immediate emphasis is on mouths. We get extreme close-ups straight mm. away. Like yep. we get that tone. It's quite funny. Um, and yeah, I'd probably say those nice. two. So, well, it's, ir- it's ironic because I actually do write down my highlight scene. It's also the bar date scene, um, but particularly for the camera because as the conversation again, they're having a conversation about nothing, but it's all about the 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 chemistry that they have, yeah. but. The way the camera sort of 
creeps in a little closer where you are. You're right. You're just getting like the facial expressions. You're getting eyes and mouths and um, just that real tight close-up focus. But I like they intercut it with these medium wides of them almost kind of looking in the opposite direction. Yeah. And it is kind of this floaty feeling where they're sort of on cloud nine. And I I also really appreciated that. So, yeah. So, we kind of landed in the same ballpark. But shout out to the... A couple of fresh perspectives right there. Oh, there you go. Well, Fresh is currently out on Disney+. Plus. The perfect place to watch <laughs> Absolutely. this kind of content. Yeah. Well, speaking of Disney+, Jake, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week? Ah, oh, see, this is a massive week. Oh, really? This might be, in terms of, oh, this is, this, in terms of cinema it. releases, oh. this might be the, the biggest write-up I've ever written. It's like half a page. Oh, wow. It's There's so much coming out. I think there's just a lot of like local films and indie films okay. hitting like lunars. I think you're being sarcastic. No, I'm serious. There's a lot going on here, but um, we'll start with streaming, of course. So you've got Me Time on Netflix, which he's a stay-at-home dad enjoy his first Me Time in years by reconnecting with an old friend. It stars Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg. Nope. What a nope. <laughs> what a combination <laughs> right there. You also got the Super Wogs, who actually performed in Perth pretty recently. They a couple, did. A couple of weeks ago. I've seen them live a few times. And um, a, a friend of the show, um, Rachel, who he worked on in uh, Home Again. Home Again, that's what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. She's in one of the Super Wog episodes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So that's a, a cool little turnaround right there. Directed by Zeke Morganheim. So directed by Zeke Morganheim. <laughs> and don't you forget it. Coming to Disney Plus this week, you have the start of a couple of doco series. Sure. Including Fearless, the inside story of the AFLW, and Mike. As in Mike Tyson documentary. What were they on? Uh, Disney Plus. Cool. So yeah, AFLW to Disney Plus. That's a surprise. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? What was yeah. what was the other uh, Making Your Mark, which yeah, is well, on Prime. Prime, yeah, that makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I was expecting Stan or Prime. Yeah, Stan Not would Disney. be. The, you probably get like your feature AFL movies on on Stan. Yeah. Yeah, Disney Plus. It's interesting. I know. There's a girl power theme in there again somewhere. Oh, look, I, sure. I, I I was actually surprised we it's taken this long to Sure, them. yeah. Yeah. They're in season, they're about to start season seven. And I was Yeah, honest, wow. Yeah. I it I was we I'd be killing for making a mark season two. And I always said mm. if they did a season two, you just mix it. You make it part men, part women's and then just maybe the first half of the show because the women are normally over the summer. And right. Then switch it into the men for the second half of the show. Yeah. Um, there you go. It's a good pitch. You heard it here first on the cinema yeah. side. But maybe, maybe Disney have got the rights to the AFLW. So. Yeah, it, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Maybe it's more like a Fox searchlight thing. I, I don't, really have no idea. Well, that sort of makes sense. That would that would make. Sense. I mean, to be honest, if that's the case, I would be more than happy for them to have one for the men and one for the women. Sure. I yeah. find the AFLW very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Coming to Prime this week, you got Brie Larson's Room. The Downton Abbey second film, A New Era, which I think is the one that came out earlier this year. It did. And the Uncharted film. We've talked about that. <laughs> which actually also Almost comes... I that existed. I know. Oh, well, we're not going to forget it exists in our next awards season. No. Nah. I can tell you that it's much. Already, it's already... The, tro- the trophy's a- ready to go. It's already... <laughs> it's already ready to go. It's also coming to binge this week, which is interesting. So if you've got either or all, Primal Binge. Also coming to binge, you've got It Chapter 1. Uh, and the spin-off, we teased this a little earlier, the spin-off everyone has been waiting for, House of the Dragon series premiere. It is out right now. Are you... So, 
Zeke, are you just going to watch this last episode of Game of Thrones? Probably. I think I'll probably... Just do it. I feel like I have to. Just do it, mate. If I, I have the first, what, six seasons on DVD. I just don't have the last season. Couldn't bring myself to do it. Is would Ga- I guess Game of Thrones, like, the main series would be on Binge 2. Yeah. You would imagine. It yeah. is. Yeah, there you go. I probably will watch both in the next week. There you go. No, I'm very curious to hear. I like fantasy. Like, I like fantasy TV, too. Mm. This is the other thing. I Like, since Vikings finished, which I haven't even finished Vikings. I've watched, right. got one season of that to go, too. And it's like... I think it's just because there's so much that comes out between mm. seasons. It's like Peaky Blinders. I'm like only a season behind in that. Right. Like, That's wrapped up, I think. Yeah. And Ozark. And yeah, it's all, it's all wrapping up now, so, those kinds of shows. Yeah. Maybe just going to sit down and just carve my way through them. Yeah. I know Blake's written me a list of the top 10 shows I need to get to. And that includes Peaky and, and Ozark nah, I in there. I wouldn't put Peaky in my top 10. Really? Oh. It's good. Has really good episodes. Like sure. First two, three seasons. Yeah. Not the last two, three. It's yeah, fine. Interesting. It's Fair fine. Enough. Very repetitive. It's very repetitive. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely going to watch it all. Well, once once I finish with the boys, which yeah, will be like any day now. I've only got six episodes yeah, left. I would have put the boys in that list. Fair enough. Because it's yeah. just fun. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's fun. It's a palate cleanser. <laughs> in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of blood being uh, cleansed in that in that show. And by the way, HBO, I guess it, it was with the House of the Dragon, like, airing. They must have done, like, a sizzle reel of, like, all the shows they're doing in the future. Mm. They put out the first actual footage of their Last of Us show, which I was very intrigued by. Not a lot to interpret, but I will say, if your trailer is going to be a one-to-one recreation of the dialogue from the game, at least make sure they do the delivery as good as the game. Like, Pedro Pascal does not deliver probably the most important line in the game... Very well. So I'm curious. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. Doesn't bode well. He says it. He says it Good very clearly. He says you have no idea what loss is. He doesn't say it with the same, the same venom as Troy Baker does. But uh, that's we'll get to that soon. I am generally excited for the last show. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be miles better than the Uncharted movie. Let's not get let's not get mixed up. Yeah. Here. It's gonna be good. But just wanted to point that out. And finally. See, come into cinemas. Get ready. We should do a thumbs up, thumbs down system. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rattle these okay. off to you real quick. You're gonna be thumbs up, thumbs down, and you got to be vocal as well. Cool. You, you're, you're holding it out like it's a school, like Gladiator. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly like Gladiator. All right, we got the invitation. Begins screening at Hoyts from this Wednesday, the 24th, and sees a young woman courted and swept off her feet, only to realize a gothic conspiracy is afoot. I've, oh, I've heard us down because um, <laughs> the invitation it's too ambiguous, and I've heard about four movies called the invitation. There are a few called the invitation. It it, yeah, it, it, it looks it's a horror film. It, the trailer yeah, and it sounds out. the exact same as every other film called the invitation. They go to something. <laughs> it's not what that something is. Moving on. <laughs> Fair enough. I like this already. You're harsh. I like it. You won't be alone. It comes from an Australian director, Goran Stavosky. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And sees a young girl in the 19th century Macedonia kidnapped and transformed into a witch by an ancient spirit. Sounds sick. That sounds awesome. I'm, Macedonia, I'm Australian filmmaker. I just witches. love that. Transformed into a witch. Here for it. That's sick. I want to see that. It could be like the witch. Yeah, Could very well be like that. Tuesday Club sees a sudden change, force Karen to reevaluate her life 
and join a cooking class with a few of her friends. Does that sound wholesome? Or, nope. Okay. He doesn't like Australian it. comedies miss more than they hit. <laughs> I don't think this is Australian, though. Name's Karen. <laughs> it's K-A-R-I-N. Definitely no. So it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's going to be E-N or nothing. I know. No, uh, yeah, double or nothing with the E. Beast stars Idris Elba as a father with two daughters being hunted down by a massive rogue lion, quote, intent on proving that the savannah has but one apex predator. Oh, that's a very specific Idris motivation. Elba, Idris Elba in a silly movie. Thumbs down. Yeah, it sounds pretty silly. The, lion, pl- the lion's he, does motivation. He into, does he turn into a cat <laughs> from Cats? Meow. Oh, no. He was in Cats. That. For some reason, I keep forgetting of him in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know the effect they have on women. Uh, Fire of Love is a documentary that sees scientists slash lovers uh, Katia and Morris Craft die doing the very thing that brought them together, unraveling the mysteries of volcanoes and capturing the most explosive imagery ever recorded. Sounds sick. I love me that a That sounds sick. Did they spoil they die on camera? Is this a snuff film? I'm here for it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I really hope that's true. The the most explosive imagery ever recorded. Big fan of like the ones where they're climbing Everest and mm. um, or like doing dangerous feats because you get really good photography out of it. Yeah, no, that sounds. So sick. If, if they've died in it too, I'm 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 really in for it. Yeah, I kind of feel like weird reading that, knowing they died in the making of this movie. But that I guess that's the if they're, if they're, look. I'm sorry, but if your if your love in life is capturing volcanoes and you die. <laughs> My hands go in the air and I'm like, well... <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> you died doing what you love and you also did something that was incredibly dangerous. It's like, it, it's like you know, I talked about that Everest climbing movie and yep. like the, the, the theology behind it is those who climb those dangerous mountains have to do it. Yep. And I'm like, okay, if you have to do it and you die, I'm not going to feel bad. <laughs> not that bad. Like, I feel sad they're dead, but... They, sure. you, Look, Jake, if I turned around to you and went, I'm climbing Everest, I've got like a 50% chance of dying. Yep. And I die. You're like, that's really sad. But it, he did know it was a 50% <laughs> chance. <laughs> he knew the risk going in. He I put like a, it. it was red or black. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, knowing my luck, I'd be dead straight away. You know. Lose that 60 bucks in two minutes. The outfit sees Mark Rylance as Leonardo Burling, an English tailor, Caught up with a dangerous group of criminals and must survive a fateful night. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm Love me thumbs, Mark Rylance. I'm so. Thumbs up just for Mark Rylance. I'm into it. Bass a Dream. It's a local WA film that tells the tales of youth, friendship, and family through the lens of a 1990s summer school holidays. Nah. No? <laughs> nah. I'm I'm keen for a local licorice pizza. Like an Australian 90s licorice pizza. <laughs> Even though I didn't think it was the greatest film of all time. Okay. But it's similar enough to One's Been Time in Hollywood. 1990s Hollywood. is not that far away, though. This is the thing. No, but you can make anything. This love you affair can make with anything the 90s. Nostalgic. I don't get it. Like, it. It was a more innocent time. It was. Before yeah. cell phones. All, all that. I guess jazz. it was the... I, but then we. But then we've had films like, like mid-90s that came out. Yeah. One or two years ago. Mid-90s is a great, great, great film. That's on uh, Netflix? Yeah. It, it definitely was at some point. I'm sure it's easy to find. And finally, we got Luna Palace in uh, The Windsor, which is hosting a Q&A screening with the director of Embrace Kids, a documentary about kids learning to respect and embrace their own bodies. 
And at Luna Leaderville, they're doing the same thing with the director of Blaze, which sees a young girl summon an imaginary dragon to process having witnessed a violent crime. That sounds cool. Uh, these are respectively happening on Thursday the 25th and Sunday the 28th. Um, I really got to go to more of these, the director Q&As. Yeah. Like, I love that scene, and I just never put in the effort to go to these things. I'm here for both. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. The kids, they gotta, they need self-respect. Oh, I'm here for it. Yeah. It's like, um, how am I forgetting what it's called? Come on, come on. Yeah, it's like, come, come on, come on. So good. That's a great film. But that's it, Zeke. I, I mean, only a few options there for you to select. <laughs> and yet we're not watching any of those I except on the show. Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Actually, Jake, it's A24's birthday today. Yeah. Nice, so nice I think up. we should do an A24 film. Yeah. Uh, surely we're going to do The Vich then, right? That's an A24 film. No, we're going to be watching something different. But Jake, <laughs> what are we watching? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Amy. Oh, it's a bit upsetting at the end, isn't it? She was highly intelligent, the most intelligent person I knew. She was so utterly authentic. Amy, just give us a smile and then we can turn the camera off. Do you promise? <laughs> she had such an emotional relationship to music. You're becoming an artist in the public eye. The more people see of me, the more they'll realise that all I'm good for is making music. And the Grammy goes to Amy Winehouse. She was one of the truest artists I ever heard. The world wanted a piece of her. Amy was a girl that just wanted to be loved. So I fell in love with someone who I would have died for. And that's like a real drug, isn't it? This is someone who is trying to disappear. A documentary on the life of Amy Winehouse, the immensely talented yet doomed songstress. I've heard a lot of good things about the Stocko. I'm yeah. sure you have as well. It's hallmarked in like the top. You look at any like top twenty documentaries you mm. watch. This one always seems to find its way in there. So yeah, wow. I feel like it's a must watch, and it's an A24 film on A24's birthday. There you go. Not not next week's birthday. No, though. today. But it's a surprise for A24. Happy A24. We're doing another one of your films. Happy A24. I can't wait till they turn 24. Yeah, it would be cool. Yeah, you're It'd still cool. 24. I am, for now. For now. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow <laughs> Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Amy. <laughs>